Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, madam of a secret society, author of Permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and remove the mask. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have an incredibly powerful guest. Her name is Paula Hindle. It's her mission in life to empower women holistically. She's an integrative women's health coach, a physiotherapist, an exercise physiologist, and yoga teacher that endeavors to elevate women into their highest physical, mental, emotional, sexual, and spiritual health. For over 20 years, she's held the space for women to vulnerably share their stories, for women feeling tired, overwhelmed, stressed, low in energy, lacking libido, and disconnected from their truest self through to some of life's biggest tragedies, including miscarriage, stillbirth, personal depression and anxiety, body dissatisfaction, sexual trauma, illness, and death. Paula says we were never meant to journey alone. Women aren't broken and we all have the innate ability to heal ourselves and create a life that is limitless. Now, more recently, that includes coaching for her, quote unquote, beautiful young widow sisters. Paula, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a joy. It's such a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, it's no secret. I just think the world of you and I want to share with listeners how we first became connected. Paula found out about myself and my sexology work through the traps in the city that we live in, Brisbane, and she reached out to me to come and speak to her group of mamas about libido and from there you could just I don't know from the first phone call that we had I could just feel so safe with you so heard so so assured you were so clear and you just had that little you know you had that little something something and I could just feel it from the first phone call and um, I know that women feel so safe in your community and that what I felt being on the receiving end of speaking to you only once, I've got no doubt how they feel so held, so supported and seen when you walk with them through some of those challenges that I mentioned in the intro. So we love Paula. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I've almost got a tear in my eye listening to you say that. That's so beautiful. You know, when you've got such a strong mission like that it's nice to hear that reflected back that that's what you see and I I get that from you too you um you certainly I think that's why we clicked right we Mm. we hold the space we've got shared visions and yeah it's beautiful beautiful to connect with like-minded women totally and we both had our eyes on what happens in the bedroom for women as well like Paula is so candid with all of her clients about how important your libido is as a reflection of your health and that's why it was so easy for us to 
to work together and um, and to collaborate together when we did do workshops because we did have that shared vision and we did feel that we did both have or well, we do both have sexuality as one of our values and um, that I think for the women feeling that from both ends is exceptionally powerful because you're not just getting, you weren't just getting in a guest speaker saying, oh, and I'm going to delegate this topic to her. She can talk about it. You really echoed and added your own perspective throughout um, throughout your time and continue to do so uh, throughout work, your time working with women. And that's what makes, that's what makes this work so powerful is not just one woman saying it, but multiple women saying it. And like you said, sharing that vision and that mission. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, sex and intimacy is just such a beautiful part of life. It's such an important part of our overall health, as you mentioned before. And I guess in my job as a women's health physio, I, I treat in obstetrics and gynecology. So, you know, I'm treating women who have had babies, had vaginal births, some have had trauma, some have had um, prolapse repairs, incontinence, things like that, that very much impact their sex life. And quite often when they're with their doctors, it's it's really just about getting the six-week clearance to go back and have sex, which is very much just touching on the, the physical layer, which obviously physios treat as well. But there's so much more to it, isn't there? And I think we need to be opening that space uh, for women to heal in that area. So it was great to be able to collaborate with you, um, yeah, and and just make it a topic that isn't taboo and people can talk about it in a safe space because women are all going through the same thing. I think you and I know that because we're privy to a lot of intimate conversations between women, but I think sometimes they can feel very much alone in what they're feeling. Most definitely. And that was, and that's a big part. That was a big part of your bio that really stands out is, you know, you're not alone. You're not broken. You're not alone. You're not broken. We share these concerns and the weight is collectively and individually lifted when we move into spaces together and talk about these hard things. And this being the Secrets Women Keep podcast, there are more taboo things we're going to discuss today. But the first question I want to ask you is about the bathroom stall moments in life. Now, I define the bathroom stall moment as one in which you're trying to hold it all together as everything feels like it's falling apart. You want to be seen and simultaneously invisible. Have you ever had a bathroom stall moment in your life? And feel free to substitute it with the car, the office stall, um, I don't know, dropping off, I don't know, the gym, anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, that sums it up. I've pretty much had them everywhere. I think... (laughs) I think everyone has, right? Like I don't even know what example to give you because I have them all the time. I think it's normal. Um, Oh, like a really big ugly one I had, like, you know, those ugly tears that are just (laughs) streaming down your face. You know, ugly crying, I call it ugly crying when you just physically can't stop it. Um, I'll actually say that was at... um, my brother-in-law's wedding which was just it was such a beautiful experience but it was just the timing for me so um 
my husband had passed away probably about, I can't remember the time frame, but maybe a year or a year and a half before. So I had my two young kids with me at this beautiful, what really was just a family wedding, right, with my in-laws. Um, but I think it was just a time where I was sitting there and it was a beautiful ceremony and they were having these beautiful speeches and we'd been involved in all the family photos and something just overcame me with like, I was almost having these weird thoughts, like I'm sitting in this beautiful room with these people that I'm kind of their family, but my husband's not here who makes me part of this family, yet they're just so loving and inclusive of me and all these beautiful words were being said. And I don't know, it was just this, I mean, you cry at weddings anyway, right? Like I do, I cry if someone wins, you know, a car and a game show, it's ridiculous, but... (laughs) So so I just had these just mixed emotions just welling up inside of me but I thought to myself I can't I can't lose it here because I don't want attention to be on me this is not about me so I just sort of really discreetly smoke bombed as best I could trying to make sure my kids were okay because they were only little and just left <laughs> went down to the river I I laugh now but it was horrendous and I was just tears just streaming out of my every orifice in my body, you know, the snot coming out, just ugly crying. So, yeah, that was probably um, one of my biggest moms, which I <laughs> ended up having to call one of my girlfriends to rescue me because I just needed I needed to abort mission and leave. So, yeah, yeah. Yes, I have, Lauren. Yes, yes. I yes, you yes, have. I have. Mm. And I just want to go back to how you ended sharing that with us. You said that you had to abort mission and leave. So was in that moment, was one of your options to try and pull yourself together? It's not not the way I see things, but was that one of your options was to just go back into the wedding, pretend everything was okay? Did that even cross your mind? Um, oh, it's hard to remember now. I actually did, but I made sure I'd pulled myself together enough and I didn't hide the fact that I was emotional I just didn't want to make a big deal of it at the time so um yeah I think um I I mean you couldn't hide it my face was just (laughs) blown up (laughs) mess by that point so I did I did actually go in and, and say that I was leaving and I was just yeah it was I mean they understood you know that they um I'm a pretty uh, open person these days and probably wear my heart on my sleeve and share my vulnerabilities. So um, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's just I think once you start, it's almost like you can't not live that way, not live from um, that place of truth. So, yeah, I I certainly could have tried to hide it, but I chose not to. Mm. I love what you said about once you start to live that way, you can't you can't go back to trying to hide your feelings. You can't go back to trying to wear the mask and conceal everything and swallow everything down. It really becomes, I'd be interested to hear whether this was your experience, but it's almost like it becomes a decision to be vulnerable and you can't unlearn that decision. You can't unlearn that action and go back or revert back to the way that you used to do things. Is that your experience of being vulnerable and being in your truth? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say definitely yes. But at the same time, I think 
I have to share that it's it's no easier to be that way. And quite often if I feel like I need to blurt out something about how I'm feeling, it's almost like me going, oh, I hate this. This is just so irksome, but I just have to say this because this is how I'm feeling. So, yeah, it's not always, um, yeah, it's awful. It's awful being vulnerable, but it's also so real. And I think I just want to live a real life and I want people around me who can be real and open and, um, yeah, I think you really, um, you touch life on a deeper level and you connect with people on a deeper level when you live that way. Most definitely. I agree 101%. I am all here for the depth and the intimacy and the connection and the touching people. That is, well. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I've shared I've shared with you that touch is my love language. Yeah, yeah, touch is yours and mine's the words. <laughs> mine's the words. So um yeah, just laughing about what your love language is still accesses my uh words of affirmation and as my love language. So um yes, yeah, so you called a friend. Now, lots of women, let's be really honest, lots of women who are experiencing are in the fully-fledged bathroom stall moment, don't say anything and don't call anyone. What did it mean to you in that moment to have someone that you could reach out to? See, I feel like it's normal because I have quite a few people in my inner circle who I could have called in that moment. Um, I don't know whether I've made it that way. I've just, (laughs) I've forced people to come on board with me and live this way. But, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate in life that I've got a few um, very, very close friends, both male and female family, that really I could call and be my ugliest, most vulnerable self and they would pick me up emotionally, not just obviously. She picked me up in her car, but you know what I mean? <laughs> she she would be there. She would sit with me. She'd let the ugly tears flow. She'd do whatever she needed to. And I have a few, a few people in my life that would do that for me. So I'm very grateful for that. Oh, absolutely incredible, Paula. And community and creating community and circles of people around you is one of the antidotes, is one of the salves for a bathroom stall moment is the way I perceive it is it's not such a problem that you have the bathroom stall moment. It doesn't have to have this significant meaning in your life. It's about how you recover from it. It's about what some of your first first actions are after the bathroom stall moment and how and what kind of promises and pledges you make to yourself after going that far down. Would you, yeah, what are your thoughts on what I just shared? Yeah, well, I mean, it's. I just think we live in a life where we're so busy and so bombarded with stimulus that we don't often have space to process things that go on in our life. And it can be big things. It can be small little conversations you've had with people during the day that may have just um, touched on a little nerve or triggered something. And I think people just don't stop and give themselves space to allow emotion and and to process things during the day. Like so often I do sit with women and and I'm probably mostly speaking on a professional level here where they'll often say to me, I get this probably almost daily, 
oh god I'm almost about to cry but then they'll hold back and I'm always saying to them oh my god cry just you've got to cry let it out it's Mm. you have to physically let that out so so that your body can can process it and and heal otherwise we hold these imprints in our body in our nervous system and they end up manifesting somehow whether it's through um you know autoimmune disease illness um you know skin conditions gut problems all of those things sorry that's my dog Um, they're just not taking time to process things so so i think it's it's so important it's so important for our health so important for our health and we know what it's like when you've had a big release and a big cry and someone's held that space for you how do you feel after right you feel like oh that's better yeah yep totally it's cathartic it's cleansing it's rejuvenating it's going to give you Mm. the best facelift of your life after a cry when you've let the blood and the tears flow to your face to feel those feelings and release those deep-seated emotions you are you've renewed in a way it might it's not going to solve everything but it will allow you to take that next step forward and to just feel like okay, something's cleared from me and now I can tackle the next step. Now I can take the next step. Um, Yeah, 101% agree. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And it's completing a stress cycle, isn't it? And and I often then take that next step if, if someone does have a release in front of me to bring awareness to how they feel then in that moment because quite often you can even visually see that their nervous system has calmed down. They, you can see it in them. It's incredible. So I just like to bring that awareness to people that once they've had that release, they feel better. Yes. Yeah. We become so adjusted to living within the midst of a stress cycle that we can forget what it's like to actually complete the stress cycle and how good that feels and how much pleasure that can bring. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Not long after we first met and you invited me to speak to your group of mamas to talk about libido, I noticed you posted on Facebook about being a widow. And at the time, we'd spoken on the phone, I'd met you in person, but I actually had no idea that you had lost your husband. And I'll be really honest with you, I have, I had up until that point, I had no connections to any people that identified as widows that weren't beyond the 70 plus age mark. Can you share with us your story of becoming a widow at such a young age? Yeah, I can. So, um, yeah, my husband um, was unwell with mental illness for quite some time actually and he ended up suiciding in 2013 so almost eight years ago this year um in our family home so I was 35 at the time and had a two-year-old and a four-year-old so yeah widowed at 35. Mm, So young that's so young what what the, there were those first few days after your husband's death who was who do you remember being around you at that time um my family um so my family were all with me the whole week and my closest group of friends so i it was yeah i mean it's it's a vague it's vague to remember back to that first 
week, but um, it's it's almost not the worst week of your life in hindsight because you're so surrounded by a lot of people and you're also in shock, which is very protective. So I think for me, I mean, of course, it was hard. It was it was horrendously hard, but probably um, even after that week, it almost got harder than for a while because for most people, life then goes on. And for me after that, it's you're just so, I mean, your world's been pulled apart. So you just, yeah, I mean, I almost needed people to tell me to go and have a shower and certainly feeding me, making me eat because I'd lost a lot of weight and, um yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, all of my closest friends, which probably stems back to me having a lot of people in my life that I can call and they've seen me at my most vulnerable, maybe it stems back to that point because you can't not be vulnerable at that point. There's just no other, there's no other choice. So yeah, and I've got family friends I, I grew up with, my childhood friends, so they were all there and I had quite a few people living in my house <laughs> that week. So yeah, it's a... Yeah, it's a funny time to look back on now. Mm. It's almost almost a surreal, almost like I'm telling a story about a different person. Yes, yeah, and that can happen with stories that are inherently traumatic is it can start to feel like a film reel, like you're watching you're watching a story play out rather than really feeling like, oh, that was my experience, that was my lived experience of that time. Yeah, 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 definitely that. And I think um, I think I've done a lot of work to move through the heavy, heavy emotion of it. So it's easier to talk about now more as a a story rather than feeling like I'm reliving it, speaking about it. Which certainly in the early days, if I if I ever spoke about it, it was very much like I was taking myself back to the story and reliving the story and reliving the emotions, but yeah, I've kind of, I can look back on it now uh, in a different light. Mm. And what would you say to Paula eight years ago who was going through that exceptionally challenging time? I would just keep reminding her that she's not alone and that she will get through it. She's not alone and she will get through it. I think that would be the main things. And also mm. to trust herself. Did your sense of trust in yourself, was that shaken by your husband's death? Oh, absolutely. My, my sense of trust in every respect was shaken, every respect, yeah. How did you come to rebuild that trust in yourself? Um, I, think, I think partly it's just time. I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of steps I had to go through in the healing process so it can be hard to answer some of those questions but um so I mean dealing with the actual suicide was probably the first thing I had to navigate because um I found him so I had a lot of um probably like a a trauma response I guess from that and I had a lot of flashbacks and um I didn't sleep for a really long time because as soon as it was quiet and I was on my own at night and I'd try to just close my eyes, I would get flashbacks. So just getting through that was probably the first thing for me. And I think because I've always been a very health conscious person from a really young age, I was always into my 
health and wellness, I just really fell back on what I knew, which was making sure I was eating well. And then, like I said, I'd lost a lot of weight because he'd been acutely suicidal for a good six months before that. So I was quite badly underweight. So I really worked towards putting weight back on and physically getting stronger. And um, I think that brought a bit of trust back in myself because I was sort of finding part of myself that maybe I did always trust. Um, Yeah, and then on top of that, just um, obviously grieving the loss of my husband, trying to raise kids at the same time because obviously they were two and four, so you don't get much space to process when you've got a two and a four-year-old, you know, waking you up every morning and you've got to feed them and change nappies and do all those things that you have to do with kids. Um, Yeah, slow process. Mm. Mm. Slow process. And what I'm hearing from what you shared is, your body was responding through the flashbacks and the not sleeping and going into a form of self-protection mode and the way that you rebuilt that trust in yourself was going back to your butt going back to your body again and what you knew and what had worked for you feeling good within yourself in the in the years that led up to that yeah for sure and i think um it's funny because when I think about it, there were there were glimpses in the early days of me trusting myself. Like I knew after the funeral, which was after the first week, I just knew within myself I needed to get away from everyone. I had people from interstate. It was a big funeral, lots of people around, just hundreds of messages on my phone every day. And I actually just jumped online and booked a place at the beach and just fled. I just left. I needed to be away. And I think that was trusting myself and listening to myself but then you have a lot of people around you sort of suggesting and telling you what you should do and it's hard when you're in that oh you know you're in shock you're grieving there's so many things you're just so cloudy you're not sleeping it's it's hard to trust yourself in that point so you sort of look to other people's brains to help support you so yeah it's a it's a very confusing time mm Mm, and it's it's almost just listening to you, it was almost like there's this tipping point where you needed people around you and you needed them to remind you to to eat and what the, and to shower and what the basics were. But then there came a point where you actually needed to just do something for yourself by yourself in order to facilitate your own recovery, your own to meet your own needs and to help you self-soothe through your grief yeah absolutely and you know there were times where um I probably almost had to fight to to do things the way I wanted to and to feel the way I was feeling and to respond and act the way I was acting um because other people were expecting me to do different things or um had needs that I wasn't able to meet for them so I I was at some stages fighting for myself to be able to heal the way I knew I needed to heal, Mm -hmm. which made it harder. Like it was doubly hard then because you're just in this completely depleted state. Like I've, I've never been that depleted in my life in every, in every aspect, like physically, emotionally, mentally, 
sexually, spiritually, everything, everything completely depleted. I just had nothing. And then to be able to to want to do things a certain way and have to fight at that point, you just have nothing left. So it's it's really hard. Mm. It's really hard. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself through that fighting to have your own needs met? I learned that I am a very strong person. Mm. And the more I continue through life now and look back, particularly in the last probably 18 months, I am very choosy who I ask for advice for. I have definitely got mentors and coaches in my corner and I tend to when I have a problem now or something, I'll go and sit on my own first because I deeply believe that we all know what we need and we all know the answer. Mm. And I think it can get very clouded sometimes if you go and talk to too many people and you start to listen to other people rather than really looking deep within yourself to know what you need. Um, I wish I knew that at a younger age, but, again, it just comes with life experience, right? So Mm -hmm. it's something I certainly try to, I mean, I do it within my health coaching now. I really try to bring that out in other people and and, um, teach them how to find that quiet space to work out what they need because I really do think we we know, we know what we need. Yeah, yeah, we do. We really do. And, yeah, I agree, too many noises, too many voices in the ring can just create so much more confusion and have us lose touch with the whispers of our soul that are just so simple and so clear and so Mm. minimalist and just so, so nurturing. And then... Yeah, it becomes, Mm. yeah, totally agree. It becomes too cloudy. So you learning that for yourself in your own time and now you sharing that wisdom with other women is fortifying and touching more people than you probably realise because that's an incredibly powerful skill. If we can master that, then everything else can just fall into place. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think for me in the early days, it was a bit too hard to sit in silence because I would just be ruminating over the suicide, Um, you know, could I have done anything different, last conversations, images, all of those things. So sitting in silence was just a bit too painful for me at the time. So I had to really go through the process with professionals to navigate all of that and process all of that before I could really learn to sit in silence again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. so that, that was an interesting an interesting experience. Mm. And the emphasis there is on your own time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, speaking to other widows or people that have been through um, loss, it's something that, a lot of people struggle with that there isn't a time frame for grieving. Um, it's very much a, an up and down thing. It's not linear. So uh, that can be a hard thing for other people to understand if they've not been through loss and grief of someone very close to them. Mm. What's something that people don't know about being a widow? Oh, that would be a good question to put in my little widow community group. <laughs> mm. A lot of things. Um, it's very lonely. It's very lonely being a widow. 
Um, I think I think the big thing that people really don't understand is you can surround yourself with people and do things during the day to fill that void and bring joy into your life. But when you're a widow, <coughs> at the end of the day, you're going home and that person that was supposed to be with you forever is not there and you don't have someone to be with you through the night and hold you while you're grieving like you would if you had your husband or a partner and someone else in your life had died. So the hardest part is definitely the nights, Mm. Um, especially when you're, again, you're not only lonely in terms of not having that special person, but you're also carrying the grief of your kids, which is so heavy. It's scary because you're, you've never done it before, so you're trying to learn how to navigate grief for kids. Um, that's, I think that would probably be the main thing. You know, it's, it's, it's lonely in that you can even be in group situations and you can look around and see all of your other friends with their partners there and you're the one without their partner. So that can be hard and listening to their plans of going on holidays at Christmas and you don't have that person to plan life with and the life you did have planned has just gone. It's just vanished overnight. So, yeah, that's very hard in the early days to to navigate all of that until you can get to a point where <coughs> you're com- <coughs> sorry, excuse me, you're comfortable that you're rebuilding a life that's just for you and the kids. And that's hard, you know. Even even now, I I've definitely got my visions of my future, but I certainly wish there was someone else that I was um, navigating my future with and raising my kids with. But it's just something that I don't have. Mm. Yeah, I feel that. Now, something that you do every year is you take your children away. And forgive me because I've forgotten the name of what you call it, but it's like a celebrating life getaway. Is that? Celebrate life day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you share with people more about the intention behind? that and what it means for you to have that day every year with your children yeah I just chose very early on I mean sorry excuse me um I actually have a very very strong memory of waking up the day after it happened and just deciding that this event was not going to ruin my life or define my life and that I was going to have an amazing life with my kids. So it kind of started from the very first day. So in the absolute pain I was in, I just I just had that deep gut feeling that, <clears throat> yeah, life was going to be great for me. I wasn't going to let this ruin anything. So when it was coming up to the anniversary, I just decided that what we need to be doing is celebrating life. So not only the life of my kid's dad, Um, I mean, partly for me, it's celebrating his life, particularly for the kids because they were so young and didn't get to know him very well. It's a time that I can really share a lot of stories with him and um, talk to them about what he liked, what he didn't like, what his dreams were, what his hobbies were, who his friends were. I get his friends to tell stories about him. 
Um, but also just celebrating life for what it is. So I just deeply believe that life is bloody amazing. It's just so beautiful, just the simple things in life of getting up and having my morning coffee and looking outside, looking up at the sky, sitting on the beach, talking to friends. And it's just so important to me that my kids also appreciate the most simple things in life and don't be looking externally for happiness. And I think, again, a big driver for that is my late husband's mental illness. And he many times would say to me that he just couldn't understand my mind and how I was just perpetually, relentlessly happy all the time. (laughs) And I used to say to him, but this is life. Like, it's beautiful. I think it's great. Like, I, I just don't need anything. It's such a it's such a wonderful thing to to live. So I really just wanted to pass that on to my kids so that they have that basic appreciation of what life is and to celebrate someone for the time we had them and almost let that pass through us. So that's the intention of Celebrate Life Day. Yeah, that is just beautiful, Paula. And you're really tapping into the priceless moments in life, the ones that don't necessarily require, they don't require money or status or material things. They are, it's about the feelings, it's about the sensations, it's about what's right in front of you, it's about the small moments. And that is just so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it is. It it just is. It's actually really simple and we, including myself, get caught up in wanting things or expectation and that's where all of our suffering comes from. So, yeah, if we can have these constant reminders that bring us down to the simple things, that's where contentment lies. Yeah. Now, you have a community of women around you that also identify as widows. What difference has that community made to you in your journey over the last almost eight years? Yeah, I started a uh, Yummy Mummy Widow Warriors Facebook group. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly when, but it was because I was fortunate enough to have a friend of mine, I hope I can say this the right way, she'll just giggle at me when she hears me say this, she was widowed a few years before me, which I'm fortunate to have her because I had her wisdom and her experience. I'm not, I feel bad saying, but I'm lucky that she lost her husband. (laughs) That's how it sounds coming out of my mouth. But I mean, I was just so lucky to have someone in my life who I could call every now and then and just blurt oh I'm feeling this is this normal do you feel this do you feel lonely do you feel blah 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 and she would talk me through things and just normalize so many things I was feeling and it doesn't matter that I have the most beautiful supportive family the most amazing friends who I can be vulnerable with she understood me on a different level and it's purely because of shared experience Mm. And it just then made me realise that there must be other people that don't have that. They don't have this friend that I have, my beautiful, wise friend. So um, I I actually then found out that there were two other mums at my kids' primary school 
who were widowed and I was introduced to another beautiful friend of mine now um, when her husband suicided. So I just, well, none of us knew each other really very well at all, but I just pulled us all together into a Facebook group and I'm not even sure how many of us there are now, but it's just this platform where if one of us is having a tough time or maybe not a tough time, maybe we're going to write about a small win or something, we've got somewhere that we can write about it knowing that we're all women with the shared experience. We're, we're women who have lost our husbands at a young age and we've got kids. So there's so many so many similarities there. So it's just somewhere where we can dump something and be heard, be held, be supported. Um, yeah, and I just think that's very powerful. So, again, it's that shared experience. It's real. It's vulnerable. And uh, very early on when I'd started the group, I noticed one of the girls had written something and all of these replies had come in before I had the chance of seeing it. And I, it just brought tears to my eyes because I thought, oh, if I hadn't brought that group together, she wouldn't have had somewhere to dump that comment and have all of these beautiful women, none of them know her, but they've just come in and caught her and supported her with all of these beautiful um comments and suggestions and words and it's it was just pure love and I just thought that was amazing that's mm, so touching how powerful it is for women to support other women in the times in life in the bathroom store moments when really if we didn't have that community like you said if it wasn't there what would have happened to her what would have happened what would makes me wonder what the chain reaction would have been from that moment had your group not have been there. And it concerns me to think how her being alone in that would have would have felt would have moved into the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and had a real domino effect uh, in regards to her mental health and her spiritual health. Mm. And mm. yeah, it's 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 incredibly powerful having someone and people someone or people there when you're in one of those moments in life yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that's what life is about it's about supporting each other and loving mm-hmm. each other yeah yeah and you've worked with a lot of women particularly women who identifies as mothers What's one secret that connects all of these women together? Hmm. I'm not sure if I'm answering this as one secret, but um, I think it's just, again, the shared experience of mum life and that we've we've created a group where, again, someone can walk in, and this happens all the time, and just go, oh, my baby is just an asshole, And it's totally okay to say that because we know that they don't think their baby's an asshole. They're just, how can a baby be an asshole? <laughs> but we've all said it. We've all thought it. <laughs> but to be able to verbally say that to a group of women and they're not going to turn around and judge you, but what they're going to do is take your baby off your hands and <laughs> let you go and train at the gym or, you know, just give you that space. So I think, I think again, and this doesn't always work with groups of mothers, unfortunately, they, they're not always 
helpful groups, but certainly the um, the group I've got at the gym I train out of at Perform 360, they're just such beautiful, open, real women who can, you know, some of them might have depression and they will just completely share how they'll how they're feeling and it's in the most incredible way because they might come in and blurt out how they're feeling but not in a way that brings the whole group down it's in a way where they're almost saying not great today can everyone pick me up a bit and everyone just rallies and continues on with what we're doing so it's just it's beautiful so I think the secret to those women is that we all know that sometimes life's just shit and hard but we've got each other yeah and that that's okay yeah yeah your dog agrees (laughs) oh my dog my dog's like yeah sometimes I don't get a piggy but that's okay (laughs) now Paula today we've talked a lot about what women conceal and why what are three things that you want women struggling with being their fullest selves to know oh again it's just those things I am constantly telling women that you are enough, you are worthy, and you aren't broken. Mm. I think people just need to realise that everyone has stories, everyone has fears, everyone has limiting beliefs, um, you know, and they stem from past experience, they stem from culture, they stem from your upbringing, religion, so many different things. But everyone has something, so there's no need to hide it, Mm. you know, like... I I almost find, and it's a fascinating kind of experiment, that I find sometimes women are so much more open with me when they know more about the fact that I've had some dark times. You know, if I walk into a group to speak and they don't know anything about me, there can almost be that palpable kind of, oh, who's this girl? Who's this fit girl walking into the room? But if it's, oh, there's that girl who was widowed and is raising two kids on her own and you know, suddenly I'm a different person and seen in a different light. So it's that typical story of people looking at others from the outside thinking that they're seeing someone rather than actually getting to know who they are. Yeah. I think if we can all just drop all of that and lead life with an open heart and from a place of vulnerability, then we're meeting people as our truest self and we're meeting their truest self. Yeah, yeah, that's just beautiful and powerful and deep and it's a wound that I think we're in the process of mending, although it might take time, just dropping that initial judgment of she's got this or she must have her shit together or she mustn't have any idea what it's like to be me or to experience the loneliness or the darkness or the dirt dirt, dirt that I've experienced and just pausing and just saying, hey, there's a big chance that she has felt. Imagine if we looked at every woman we first encountered and just thought, you know what, we've probably got more in common than we do have different. She, whatever I've felt, she's probably felt it too. Whatever I've experienced, she's probably experienced it too. And if she hasn't yet, then maybe she will. Imagine the way that judgment would drop and acceptance and inclusion would increase if we approached every first encounter that way instead, even without hearing mm-hmm. people's stories. But there's still that 
we're still in that mm. dynamic of judgment and then you hear the story and then you're converted. Not, I, I wonder if we can mm. do better than that and just go from the beginning, mm. I'm not going to have create any stories about who this woman is or what she has and hasn't done or what she has or hasn't got. And I'm just going to step into any interaction with her uh, with an open mind and how much that would change the quality of conversation and connection from the start, um, yeah, as opposed to the alternative. Yeah, that would be amazing. It would be amazing. It would be much more effortless. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't it? You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good word. Well, Paula, we've come to the time in the podcast that I give you some quick shoot questions and it's no secret, I can't wait to hear what your answers are to these. <laughs> so first one, just on first, it's instinctual, it's intuitive, just first thing that comes to your mind, don't delay, we're going to we're going to run through these quickly. What's your favorite? Okay. <laughs> what's your favorite sensation? Favorite sensation? Oh, touch. Mm. Touch, right? Mm. I'm a touchy person. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm letting my mind Moving go. On. Away. <laughs> Okay, next one. All right. Next what's question. your favorite se- <laughs> what's your favorite secret place? Byron Bay. Mm, gosh. What's one secret talent you possess? Um I can ask if you'd like a small towel in Korean. Ooh. I know you're gonna ask me to do it and now I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's next <okay>. question. <laughs> yeah, next question. What's your secret pleasure? Oh, secret pleasure. Oh, um, oh, a lot of secret pleasures. <laughs> uh, secret pleasure. When I, when I was pregnant, my secret pleasure was um, dipping chips into Nutella and eating them on the couch. Oh, sweet and salty. Yeah, so good. Yeah. <laughs> Does it still bring you pleasure now <laughs> or is it purely a pregnancy thing? Uh, well, I've had to stop myself from doing that. Yeah. That was becoming troublesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who's one woman who's really seen you? Oh, I think a lot of women have really seen me, but do you know what? I'm going to say my childhood best friend. She has seen me. Mm. She has seen me. She knows me inside out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so special and it's... Yeah, it's so special. Someone who's seen you throughout your life, seen the insides in the yeah. outside, knows all the parts. Yeah, 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 knows all the parts. Yeah, yeah. known me since I was about five. So just, just she's seen me. She knows me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Now, one-on-one conversation or mingling through a bustling soiree. Oh. One on one. I'm an introvert. Ah, my one of my. Although I can do it, I've had to learn. I've had to learn how to not be an introvert. One of my really close friends will always say, if we're ever going to a big ladies' lunch or if I have to go and speak somewhere, I will always walk in with her and go, "I hate this." <laughs> she comes to me. You say that every time. This but you wouldn't know asshole. because I would. I would walk this. 
yeah, this party is an asshole. But I will walk through the room and chat to everyone, social, social, and then I'll smoke bomb and leave because yeah. I need to go home. Yeah. 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 I hear you. That's probably something people don't realise about me actually, but, um, yeah, <laughs> I like to quote Will Ferrell in um, Elf and say, I just need some alone time. Yeah. We like alone time and people would be surprised yeah. because you organise Christmas parties and Christmas in July parties and you do group training and, you, yeah, people would be very surprised to hear that you're an introvert based on what they see yeah. online and you, there's always other people around you. So Yeah, and I always think the people that know me most will say, oh, no, you're definitely an introvert. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, see, you see me. It's interesting. When someone says that, I think, yeah, they, they actually see me. Mm, yeah. And being seen is everything. Paula, where can we find you online and out there in the world? Oh, when I'm not hiding <laughs> at home. <laughs> um, so my Instagram handle is at yummymummyphysio. Um, Facebook, Yummy Mummy Physio. I work out of Perform 360 at Inogra. I work at Bayside Obstetrics and Gynecology at Cleveland. Um, and I work online as well, so you can see me through a screen. Wonderful. And can you just tell us what your website is? www.yummymummyphysio.com.au. Yes. And actually, I've also just started a. I've started um, Yummy Mummy Widow Warriors on Instagram too. So at Yummy Mummy Widow Warriors. Yes, yes, I can't wait to see. Yes, yes, where Yummy Mummy Widow Warriors goes and how. And I just know, I just know, being Claire cognizant that. This will continue, as you already have touched so many lives, this will continue to touch more lives and nothing is more precious than that. So thank you for everything that you do, Paula. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me, Lauren. It's been beautiful to chat as always. Yeah. Yeah. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. I hope this episode has contributed to your understanding of your secret self. If you enjoyed it, please share it on Instagram and tag me in it so more women can feel seen and understood. And if you never want to miss an episode, then subscribe so you don't miss a whisper.